Okay? Do I trust it? Do I not? But I think Paul best said it this way. He says this. He's banking his whole uh, religious system on the event of the resurrection. And he is saying this in 1 Corinthians 15. If the resurrection did not actually happen in space-time history, um, then everything that we have trusted about Jesus is foolishness. It is not true. So Jesus, unlike these people, they, these people did not point to themselves as being the ultimate answer to a human beings, uh, a human's problems. Buddha did not, uh, nor did Muhammad. Muhammad's pointing to Allah. Buddha's pointing to, you know, being enlightened. Okay. Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus does is, if you don't believe in me, you're doomed. Because not only does he bring a message, he is the message. It is God incarnate. Um, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians says that Jesus Christ, um, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. It is a stumbling block to the Jews. But to those who are being saved, it is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. And then he continues and says that the wisdom of this world, you know, I mean, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. And and, and he goes on to point out again what I've said before about when you're reading scripture and you want to look at the creator creature distinction, what's being said here. When we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ, we are talking about the creator coming and taking on humanity. He became a man. He was always God. He was not always a man. And that's what, you know, I said, I wish we really had more, more, you know, more time, more classes. Because really, just that statement alone, that deserves a whole class. Islam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But that's a good question. I hope, you know, I, I answered it to your satisfaction. Um, um, oh, good. Yes. It's First Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 20. That's a classic passage. Another class that really should be being taught here is uh, on the resurrection. I mean, that's a whole class on the resurrection. You've got to have the resurrection. If we don't have the resurrection, you know, we don't have Christianity. We're, we're wasting our time. You know? So, um, yeah, First Corinthians 15. Yeah. Well, I've, I've taught this class before, and uh, what I've done is... You know, started out with the whole issue of truth. Then we go into arguments for God's existence. Also talked about the difference between faith and reason. Um, but even before I get into Jesus, I go into the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? 
even before I get into Jesus. Because that way, we set aside a huge thing. Well, how, you know, you're getting your, the majority of your information from the New Testament. How do I know that I can trust it? Okay? And which is a great question. You should be able to ask that question. And by the way, every other person who has a faith that has a holy book, if they want to go toe-to-toe with you, they got to give reasons too why, why their book they should hold to. They have to. It's, it's only fair, right? Does, doesn't that make sense? Yes. The New Testament, the majority of the New Testament was written uh, within Paul, the Apocalypse, uh, not uh, John. I'd say about within the, by the end of, of uh, John's life, which was, I think he died like 90-something years old. Um, one of the things that um, is, you know, said of uh, the life of Jesus, Jesus was a myth. Why was he a myth? Well, because, you know, you can't trust uh, the documents of the New Testament. Um, the problem with that uh, position, among other things, is first of all, the eyewitness accounts. Um, the, the, the writers of the New Testament understood the difference between myth and reality. They even wrote about it. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Great example. Second uh, Peter, uh, what is it, 2, uh, where uh, Peter is saying, we did not follow cleverly to devise tales when we spoke to you about you know, the life of, of Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And, 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 and he points to his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration when he hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, he, he does that. Uh, there's also um, what's known in, um, in uh, you know, literature and uh, people that uh, study this, um, one, one uh, historian, scholar, um, his name is A.N. Sherwin-White. Uh, he talks about that uh, uh, before myth and legend enter into any um, document of antiquity, you need at least two generations to pass. You know, and, you know he studied it. I'll take his word for it. You know, but essentially, uh, there wasn't enough time for legend or myth to get in. Um, and um, so that, that, that was another one. Let me see, what was another one? Another one was, um, oh, here's another one. If, if the New Testament is myth, then why in the world would the apostles put in this text numerous accounts of them showing themselves to be ignorant, they misunderstood Messiah. They didn't realize that Messiah had to die. Luke 24. They didn't realize it. You know, on the road to Emmaus. Remember the road to Emmaus? Uh, the, the crucifixion happened and these two disciples are walking. And uh, Jesus appears to them. They don't realize it's Jesus. And he says to them, what's going on, guys? Uh, why are you so bummed? You know, and they tell him, oh, you're the only one in Jerusalem is Hasn't heard what's happened today. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was the one promised. You know, was, was crucified. There goes our, uh, there, our, our, our hopes are dashed. 
And what does Jesus say? Oh, foolish of heart and slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. You know, and then he just uses the whole, what we call the Old Testament, to preach the gospel to them. Oh, God. On the day of Pentecost. Oh, embarrassing. I would want to run and hide. But Jesus did something. He said, I have prayed for you. You Satan's wanted to sift you, Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. That's why Peter, when he repented and and got his bearings straight, um, he could strengthen you and me today. I can relate to Peter. You know, foot and mouth. Or how about when they're, you know, Jesus is about to go to the cross and they're clueless and they're, they're, they're fighting among themselves. Who's the greatest? Or how about when a Paul confronts Peter for his hypocrisy? Or how about Paul, we're in Acts where he and Barnabas have a feud and they never come together again. You can just go on and on. How about the account of the, the women being the first ones to see the empty tomb. Culturally, their word meant nothing. You know, it, it was it was it was like it was like a non-issue, but it's in the New Testament. Well, why? I think God knows exactly what He's doing, and even throughout the whole Bible, one of the things that that shows that this book has marks of authenticity and its real history is its heroes are not just shown in a fantastic light. You see their junk too. That's a great test of authenticity. And I can just, I think I can go on, but I'm not going to. But you you see what I'm saying? There are a lot of things that um, uh, uh, argue for the authenticity of the scriptures. Oh, here's, people always say this. It's just, oh, the Bible's been translated so many different times in so many different languages. So many different languages. Essentially, the Bible's been written in Hebrew, uh, Greek, and Aramaic. Essentially, three, three languages. Um, the Bible, when it is translated, when it's translated by people who know Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, they translate it from Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew into Spanish, Portuguese, Cantonese, Italian, French. See, the, the fact of the matter is this. We all have to watch this. Um, the, the, the demands that the God of Scripture puts on us, we just don't like. He says of his people, you shall be holy for I am holy. I don't want to do that. I want to live however I want to live. I want to create my own reality and I want to call the shots. No, thank you. I'm not going to believe. See, that's more of an emotional, psychological disposition. It's not an issue really of, uh, of the facts. They don't want to know the facts. Haven't you ever been that way? I have. Oh, I don't want to know the facts. Gosh, that means I'm going to have to change. Or that means, oh man, this is going to be harder work. I'm too tired. You ever feel that way? I do. Okay, let's continue. 
We're going to look at Jesus' implicit and explicit claims, looking at his self-understanding. I've already said this. We've got to remember the Jewish context. The Jewish context is critical here when you're dealing with seeing what Jesus is saying through eyeglasses that are not 21st century America, uh, you know, West Side. Okay? Uh uh-uh, uh, don't do that. Why? Because it's not that kind of a document. It is a Jewish document. Now, among scholars, among the majority of New Testament scholars, the historical Jesus, that is, the actual historical person, Jesus, never claimed to be the Son of God, the Lord, and so forth. They hold that this notion of Jesus as divine is a later development added by the church. Okay? Now, they have something called the Christ of faith. What is this Christ of faith? It's a portrait of Jesus that is not really grounded in actual historical events. Uh, For the sake of time, we're going to focus our attention to the claims of Christ that even these critics accept as authentic. How's that? Sound good? Let's just deal with the ones that they accept as authentic. Okay. So, was Jesus only a prophet, a teacher? Um, was he merely that? Uh, to say that he was betrays the self-understanding of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. And so now what I want to do is this. We're going to examine uh, two explicit claims. Um, they're Christological titles, two of them. Um, we're going to look at uh, also... Explicit claims that Jesus makes um, and um, implicit claims. I'm sorry. Implicit claims and explicit claims. First of all, let's look at two explicit claims uh, here. So when we're coming to trying to understand how Jesus saw himself, there's two titles he used for himself. The Son of Man and the Son of God. Okay, first of all, Son of Man title. It's his favorite title. Uh, he used it a lot. Nobody else used this title to designate Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, the early church fathers understood this term as primarily dealing with his humanity. The term is found in the Old Testament where Daniel has a vision. And I want to read this to you. It's Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14. And this is not just merely a man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this passage not only demonstrates that there is a uh, th- this messenger, this son of man, is uh, heavenly in origin, but he was given eternal rule over all of the world. Now, if you recall when Jesus is before his accusers, and they've just, they got him beat, they just destroying him. And they're saying, who are you? Remember that? Matthew, high priest tore his robes and said, 
He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. What did Jesus say before that? It is, as you say, the son of man. You're going to see me coming in the clouds. Jesus was he's essentially quoting Daniel. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And that to them was blasphemous. And you know what? They're right. If. And only if he was just a man. Son of man. This word son of man is also found in the prophet Ezekiel. And some have argued that uh, uh, it's just a a reference to, you know, being a a human being. But um, the, the difference here is this, is that when Ezekiel refers to himself as a, you know, uses Uh, refer to himself as a son of man, Um, he uses the word a son of man. He doesn't use the word the son of man. Okay, now, what does this mean? Boy, why are you so nitpicky? Well, I'm not nitpicky. I just want to be careful to not say things that God is not saying. I don't want to misrepresent the king. I don't want to believe something that's not true. I want to get clear on what's true and what's not. So what does this mean? Well, duh, the, duh. The is a definite article. And what it's pointing to is that Jesus is the divine end time figure in the, in Daniel's chapter seven. That's what he's saying. He's pointing that, hey, I'm the guy. I am that messianic figure. And they can't get it. Why? Because the Messiah can't die. That was their view. Number one. Number two, they had no view of resurrection before the final resurrection. The Jews did not have that paradigm. But that's what's going on. So Jesus uses the Son of Man title as a referent to him as Messiah. Yes. Doesn't that the passage that you read in Daniel also says star one like a son of man? It doesn't say the son of man. I know, but here's here and it's a good question, Keith. Good question. Well, doesn't that passage also say a son of man? Yes, it does. What often happens in the New Testament is uh, the writers and even Jesus, remember, uh, part of how we got our Bible, there's something in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's something called prog- the doctrine of progressive revelation. And what progressive revelation is that in certain dispensations, God reveals certain aspects of his redemptive plan through the prophets. A lot of times the prophets don't understand what those things mean in the New Testament what happens is those things that the, the prophets in the Old Testament did not understand, the apostles and Jesus explain things that previously was not understood. And that's one of them. So Jesus says, uses the, de- the definite article, the Son of Man. He is explaining. Let me explain to you who I am. Let me explain to you who that person is. And so even though it's not used there, when Jesus is explaining it. And we're going to get to that too, especially when in Matthew. In Matthew, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does something that 
had never previously been done before. When he's talking about, you have heard that the ancients were told, but I say to you. Okay, let, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's, that's how I understand uh, G, why Jesus used that. And he's within his rights to do so. Um, so Jesus never explicitly uses the title Son of God. Now let's go to son of, the Son of God title. He never uses it explicitly of himself. Um, but he uh, is called the Son of God by the heavenly voice. Remember in his baptism? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In the tr- Mount of Transfiguration. Recall? Um, it's assumed by Satan. It's assumed by Satan in the wilderness when he's tempted him. If you are the Son of God. Okay? And also the demons. The demons know he's the Son of God. Demons recognize him as such. Yes? He uses the he to to my knowledge, he uses the term the Son of Man as a self designation. He uses it himself coming out of his mouth. Uh, the Son of God, others say it of him, and then he says, "Yeah, you have right, rightly said that." Uh, um, what? That's an implicit claim too. Yeah, that's an implicit claim. Yeah. But these titles, these titles. Go ahead, Shirley. Yeah, no, these titles, specifically the Son of Man and the Son of God, uh, reveal who he is. But the Son of the Son of God is not something that he explicitly says of himself. It is that which others say of him, which point to his divinity. Go ahead. That's another. Uh, that's a. That's a part of the I am sayings of Jesus. That is a direct claim to deity. Jewish, Jewish context, Jewish context. That what happened when Jesus said before Abraham was I am? They knew he's saying. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Right. Right. And that's a clue to us when we're reading the scriptures. Look at the reaction of the audience. Yes. If and only if he was just a man. He's amazing. The, the, the title son of son of God, the title son of God. Um, um, affirms his deity as the eternal son of the Trinity who is equal to God the Father in all of his attributes. And that's a lot to say. Okay, We can do another class just on the Trinity. Actually, we can do a lot of classes on the Trinity. But suffice it to say this. Jesus Christ has all of the attributes of divinity. All the omnis. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. 
He's all wise. He's omnisapient. Okay. He is, uh, he is omnimerciful. He is, uh, all loving. Everything. Now, when I was in school and I was a, a sophomore, um, I asked this question in a theology class and I asked my prof, you know, cause he believed that Jesus was omnipresent even in his humanity. And I'm going, how can that be? And he didn't explain it to me. I'm going to give you the brief explanation. It's really disappointing too, because there's an explanation. Jesus in his divinity, okay, cannot die. God can't die. He cannot be ignorant. He cannot be anything that he is not as divine as God. Okay? In his humanity, okay, he laid aside, he laid aside his prerogatives of divinity and operated as a man under the power of the Holy Spirit, submitted to the Father under the power of the Holy Spirit. In that sense, he couldn't be omnipresent. Okay? Then you start getting into all this stuff of, okay, well, a second, you know, if, if, you know, God the Son in his humanity died. He had to. But the grave couldn't hold him. Why? Because he was sinless. It couldn't hold him. It couldn't hold him. In his divinity, he couldn't have died. I'm going to keep going. These titles taken together, Son of God and Son of Man, reveal that He is not only human, but that He is also God, the Son. Um, but there's also implicit claims of Jesus that support these explicit claims to His divinity. And um, the first one is Jesus' claim to being the unique Son of God. Okay, He's the unique Son of God. Um, he uses a term in His prayer life. Do you remember what that term is? Abba, Abba, Father. Uh, His use of Abba uh, demonstrates that he has a very intimate relationship with God the Father. And um, if if you'll notice that when he teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us to pray, my Father who art in heaven, teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Not only that, there is nowhere found in any of the literature in, in Palestine, um, uh, in the Judaism of that day, where people address God as my Father. This was clearly something that Jesus did all by Himself. And, you know, the point here is this, is that uh, Jesus in His prayer life understood His relationship to God, that it was different, it was distinct from that of the disciples and God. He just knew that. So in his use of of the the, the word Abba um, shows his uniqueness. Okay, But also um, his knowing and disclosing of the Father shows his uniqueness too. Jesus claimed to be the unique Son of God. In Matthew 11, 27 reads like this. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Here you have an exclusive view. It is only through Christ, the, 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 the God-man that the Father is revealed to us. Only Jesus can reveal the Father to us. Okay? Another one is Jesus' implicit claim to having divine authority. And there are quite a few things here. First of all, his divine authority is uh, shown in how he taught. And I kind of pointed this out also in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has a formula. You have heard that it was said, quoting the Mosaic Law, but I say to you. Okay? And he gives his own teaching. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the prophets never did that. They never did that. Jesus here is equating his teaching on par with the Torah. The Torah is from God. Okay? But he does something much more here. He, it's not only on par with the Torah, he adjusts it on his own authority. That's a claim to deity. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. What's he doing? He's cleaning up the mess that the Jewish people made by twisting the scriptures in some senses. And in other senses, he is bringing more light on things that they weren't very clear on. (laughs) But, Jesus, are you kidding me? You're just a man, so what you're doing is blasphemous. What you're doing is blasphemous, Jesus. You deserve to die. You see, the more and more we look into the things that he's saying in the context in which they're said, the clearer and clearer the picture becomes that Jesus is no mere human being. And uh, one rabbi, uh, a a Jewish rabbi, uh, a Jewish scholar, eminent scholar, says this when he's uh, talking um, about Jesus in his book, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. It says this, Jews believe in the Torah of Moses, and that belief requires faithful Jews to enter a descent at the teachings of Jesus on the grounds that those teachings at important points contradict the Torah. And therefore, because that specific teaching was so broadly out of phase with the Torah and covenant of Sinai, I could not then follow him and do not now either. That is not because I'm stubborn or unwilling. It is because I believe God has given a different Torah from the one Jesus teaches. And that Torah, the one Moses got at Sinai, stands in judgment of the Torah of Jesus as it dictates true and false for all other Torahs that people want to teach in God's name. He's make, you know, make no mistake about it. This scholar, this Jewish scholar is saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? God? He gets it. We need to get it. Uh, divine authority, not only in his teaching, we see that, but also divine authority in his use of amen. When he says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, it's an expression of his authority. The usage of this term, I'm going to read again, implicitly demonstrates that Jesus is God. Listen to what one scholar says. It's insufficient to compare it to thus says the Lord, although that is the closest parallel. Jesus is not merely speaking for Yahweh, but for himself and on his own authority. 
This strongly suggests that he considered himself to be a person of authority above and beyond what prophets claimed to be. He could attest to his own truthfulness and speak on his own behalf, and yet his words were to be taken as having the same or greater authority than the divine words of the prophets. Here was someone who thought he possessed not only divine inspiration, but also divine authority and the power of direct divine utterance. The use of amen, followed by I say unto you, must be given its full weight in the light of its context, early Judaism. His use of amen, again, it's another pointer to his divinity. Uh, another one is his divine authority in his the expulsion of demons. And this is powerful. Jesus, Jesus casted out devils. When Jesus is casting out devils, one of the things that that is showing, it's a sign. It's a sign that Satan's kingdom is being overthrown. And now the kingdom of God is breaking into history in a way it had not previously done. Remember I said earlier, everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did had a purpose. It had meaning. One scholar says this, the exorcism pointed beyond themselves to the dawning of God's reign. In terms of the history of religions, this gives an entirely distinctive profile to the exorcisms of Jesus. They become signs of the eschaton. The eschaton has to do with the last days. With the final days where God finishes His plan of redemption. And the new heaven and the new earth come. And there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Because the former things are passed away. And there's something in the Bible, there's something in New Testament um, scholarship that's, that's called the now and the not yet. Have any of you heard it? Oh, yeah. The now and the not yet. The now and the not yet has to do with the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Where now, <laughs> death is no longer master in one sense. Demons now bow to Jesus and to, and to believers in a sense they never did before. Why? Because the Spirit of God has come. New birth has come. The power of the age to come has come into this present evil age. What happens, people ha- get into, and again, I experienced that this week talking to my precious relative, what's called an overrealized eschatology. What, just, what that simply means is this. Is that you're putting too much into the now. It's not yet. For example, death is, has not completely been swallowed up in victory. It has, in one sense, Jesus conquered it. And it will completely in the age to come. That's why we still have sickness and death. Sin is still here. Evil still is here. Satan still roams around. Okay? The day's coming when he won't. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, um, uh, fall into the fallacy of over, having an over-realized eschatology. I mean, I heard something I had never heard from my, my precious nephew. He said... The reason people die today is because they don't realize what Christ has done for them. So I, I just clarified, so do you mean that 
Do you mean that Paul and the apostles missed it because they're dead now? Uh huh. It's like I'm going. Okay. I, I, it's it's cool. I'm going over realized eschatology. Over realized eschatology. But uh, I love them, you know. It, 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 but but it. What's the problem with that? It doesn't fit what we know. Not only that. I didn't even bother to bring that up. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Oh, Lazarus blew it too. You know, and all the great saints from the past blew it. Boy. Well, maybe, just maybe, what you're saying is false. Okay. Okay, lastly, uh, Jesus' divine authority is seen in his claim to forgive sins. This is powerful. Uh, you remember his uh, parables? Prodigal son, um, the lost sheep, the lost coin. Um, people are described as lost in sin because of their separation from God. That's in Luke. And the point is only God can forgive sins. Now, for, 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 for the Jew, um, these kind of people, they're lost. They got no hope. Irretrievably lost. But not for Jesus. Mm-mm. No, Jesus is in fact inviting them back into the fold. Do you know anybody who you think's irretrievably lost? They're not. Do you have a family member who's walked away from the faith? Keep praying for them. Don't lose heart. And I know it's easier said than done, but keep praying and watch God work. Yes. Why is it? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, why? why, The question was, why did Jesus never refer to himself as the Son of God? And and I don't know. I don't know. But he used enough (laughs) sayings. To, to warrant him to be stoned if and only if he was just a man. Um, so Jesus' uh, uh, ability or, or claim to forgive sins. You remember uh, the passage in Mark uh, 2 verses 1 through 12. Um, he is forgiving sins. And the Jews there are asking the question, who can forgive sins but God? And then, he's, and then he does something there. He goes... What do you think's easier to do? This is a trick question. What do you think's easier to, to do? To say and actually affect. It doesn't say that, but that's what he means in the context. To say your sins be forgiven or to say rise up, take up your pallet and walk. And he got angry at their hardness of heart. What do you, what do you think is easier to say? What's that? Right, and that's what I thought too. Now let's think about who's asking the question. No, 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 no. It's not easier to save your sins and forgive. That's the hardest thing. That would be. How can I save your sins and forgive? Well, when Jesus, your sins and forgive. You're not God, right? Yeah. So this is another claim to. That's another claim to, to, to deity. Jesus is saying this. You think it's easier for me to say 
your sins are forgiven, you're actually wrong. By the way, I'm going to show you that you're wrong. Pick up your pallet. You're healed. Go. Jesus is pointing something out. Got to remember the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. It costs Jesus everything. Salvation is not free. God's love is not unconditional. God's love is conditional. It's conditioned on you loving the Son. In one sense. It's conditioned on Jesus rescuing you and me from the wrath to come. And it's not free. It costs Jesus his life. I woke up this morning with uh, a cloud over my head. I got up like at 4.30 in the morning. And I kid you not, I'm going, what in the world is going on here, man? It's like these clouds. What the heck? And I, I started, you know, praying. And I'm going, what's going on here, Lord? What, what the heck? And I, it just occurred to me, this is, this is demonic. And so I, I prayed and addressed what I thought. I just sensed there was a presence and addressed it and um, it, it left. I mean, immediately. And that's a horrible feeling I woke up with. You know that feeling you get with, when you're anxious? Can any of you relate to that anxiety where you feel you're, you're losing your breath? Or you feel like, oh my gosh, how am I going to... How am I going to pay the bills? Where am I going to live at next month? Any of you ever experienced that? How are my kids doing? Are they going to make it? All of these things can cause us tremendous, heavy heartedness burden. Okay? Can you imagine what Jesus went through when he's on the cross? Burdened. The wrath of God unleashed on him. All the sin of the world. I've thought about that, and I just go, Lord, of course you prayed all the time. You're our model of trusting and relying in the power of the Spirit, following the Father. In this life, we will have tribulation. We do have it. But Jesus said, oh man, don't get robbed of your joy. Be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. I have conquered death. Your greatest fear your greatest need I've taken care of. And if you're, if you're His, you can rest tonight. You can rest tonight. I can rest tonight. Don't have a job? You can still rest tonight. Paul said this, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For God has said... Oh no, that's Hebrews. Oh, Okay. Because we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out. He's talking about being godly with contentment. It's great gain. Do you got a shirt on your back? Do you, is your stomach filled? I'm telling you, man, the best is yet to come. It's not here on this side. It's not on this side. New heaven, new earth awaits us. Amazing. And lastly, you know, Jesus' implicit claim to being God's unique son. We've looked at that. Um, his claim to having divine authority. We've looked at that. And now also let's look at his claim to determine people's eternal destiny. It's an implicit one. But it's hardcore. 
This is the area that angers people the most, right? We live in a pluralistic society. We're enlightened. We're progressive. Um, and, uh, you know, there are many roads that lead to God. Yes? True? Right? Your religion's good for you? Great. My religion's good for me? Leave me alone. Right? Okay. Not according to Jesus. Uh, Jesus' uh, implicit claim of, of, of being the only means to salvation uh, is a thing that has Christian, I mean, non-Christians uh, really angry at us, saying like, uh, what's wrong with you? You know, uh, you're so narrow about how somebody can come to God. Uh, that's why I could never become a Christian. You guys are so narrow and you're bigoted and blah, 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 right? Well, we may be narrow and we may be bigoted, but we may also not be narrow or bigoted, but it doesn't matter. And let me tell you why. Because there are several problems with uh, this objection. I'm just going to point out two. Number one, the first problem is that it's misdirected. It's being directed to us and we're just saying what Jesus said. Right? I'm just saying what Jesus said. Um, Maybe I didn't say it in a way. Maybe we do add offense in our mannerisms and in our facial expressions. And we're not being person relatively uh, sensitive. Okay, granted. But let's say you're being the kindest person you could possibly be. You're, you're checking, you're making sure your facial expressions aren't, you know, obscene. And you're just telling them, hey, look, you know, this is what Jesus said. And they, and they want to cut your throat. It's like, okay, it's not my fault here. Something else is going on here. Bottom line is this. Um, Jesus clearly states this in Luke 12, verses 8 through 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. In John, he says this. I am the way. Here's the other definite article. Not a way. He says the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. These are ultimate declarations that Jesus is making about himself. I didn't hear Buddha say that. Didn't hear Confucius say that. Didn't hear Muhammad say that. Second problem is its own narrowness. Think about this. The fact of the matter is this, that whatever position anybody holds, if that position contradicts a position, let's say position A, let's say Christian. Jesus is the only way. Posi- position B is there are many ways to God. They both can't be true. They are both equally positions. And they are both, in that sense, equally narrow. See that? It's a position. It's a worldview. It's a truth claim. And whenever one contradicts another, you're, sh- you're seeing, at least in the claim, forget about w- whether they're true or not. The actual claim itself is equally as narrow as the one that's being contradicted. Hence, Jesus is the only way. No. There are many ways to God. Can you see that? 
And this, the reason I bring this up is because I got sick and tired of people telling me, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm open-minded. And it's like, oh yeah? You're open-minded? Let's see how open-minded you are now. Let, 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 let's talk. What do you mean by open? Nobody ever defines what they mean by open-minded. What they assume is that they're right and you're wrong. So I ask them, so, so you mean by open-minded that uh, you're right and I'm wrong? We've got a conversation. You know, and see where it goes. So, I'm, so you're right and I'm wrong. How, how is that? Tell me. Explain to me. Explain. You know? Bottom line is this, Jesus believed that people's salvation depended on their view of him. But not just intellectually. If you recall in the beginning what saving faith, what I explained saving faith was, okay? Um, When um, we confess belief in Jesus, we're not, according to Jesus and the apostles, it is not mere lip service. No. We are banking our eternal destiny on who he is, what he said, what he promised. And this claim to a first century Palestinian Jew may be implicit, but it definitely pointed to Jesus as divine and not as a mere man. Okay? So the self-understanding of Jesus, both in his explicit and implicit claims, demonstrates that he is God incarnate. He is the God-man. Explicitly, the titles of Son of Man and Son of God reveal that he claimed to be God, or he was claimed to be God. Implicitly, his self-understanding as divine is was disclosed to us in his uh, uniqueness as the Son of God, in his having divine authority, and in his being able to determine people's eternal destiny. Now, I want to do something before I close. I want to compare the leaders of the world's religions and Jesus. Okay, out of this book. This great book. You guys got to get this book. Okay, religion. Buddhism. The leader is Buddha. Status is he's an enlightened one. His mission is to lead others to nirvana. Okay? Confucius was, or Confucianism, uh, Confucius is the leader. His status was he was an ethical teacher and his mission to build moral, to build a moral society. Hinduism, leader Krishna, status divine avatar, mission inspire a hero. Inspire as a hero. Um, Judaism, the leader Moses, status, prophet, mission, communicate the will and law of Yahweh. Islam, Mohammed is the leader, the status, he's the final prophet, and his mission is to communicate the will of Allah. Let's go down to Christianity. The leader is Jesus. Who, what is his status? God incarnate, Lord, Messiah, and Savior. Infinite, eternal, Creator. And what's his mission? To redeem mankind. See the differences? They're very different. They're very different. Um, Why does this matter? What's the big deal? If Jesus was a historical individual, he was much more than a sage, a religious genius and a social revolutionary we've looked at his self-understanding 
And it demonstrates that he didn't only see himself as human, but as God incarnate. Now, to the Greeks, that is foolishness. To the Jews, that is a stumbling block, as I said earlier. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and is the power of God. Um, The issue matters because eternity is at stake. We are all going to die. Somebody actually has come back from the grave to tell us that there is life after death. And that someone is Christ Jesus, the Lord. So if he is in fact God incarnate, the only way to salvation, this means that all other ways lead to destruction. This is what this means. This means that those who do not bend the knee to Jesus will go to hell. Being eternally separated from the person and majesty of their creator. But the apostle John in his gospel said something. The purpose for why he wrote the book of John. And I think it's as as pertinent uh, then as it is today. Here's what he says. He ends his book by saying this. His gospel account. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Which are not written in, in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Lord, Peter said, after a hard saying that you gave, and you said, you want to go too? And he said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life because you are life. Jesus, you said of the Father, this is life, that they may know you, Father the one true God and Jesus Christ whom we've sent. I pray that what was said tonight would continue to impact us this week. That you would embolden us to meditate, to share who you are with the people around us. That you would give us both the wisdom and the clarity to be winsome, wise ambassadors for you, Lord. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory and our joy in you. Amen.